0: Hey guys. Hey guys. Come on in. Come on in. Come on in. Welcome. 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 I am not Sarah Cooperman. My name is Jeff Howard. I am subbing for Sarah, who is at a, a concert tonight. Um, but I am excited about tonight's, uh, tonight's uh, topic. Come on in. Come on in. Come on in. Come on in. Please, please, please turn your cameras if you want. Choice is yours. The choice is yours. And I'm going to talk real quickly about Zoom. I'll give you a few minutes to get in here. We have a great topic tonight, everything about the foot and what's going on with that. It's been under better to not be about fetishes. It's kind of about the science behind the foot. Oh, wait, um, wait, wait, it's not? Oh, no, I'm sorry, Pete, it's not. It's I signed up for the wrong thing. Sorry, guys. <laughs> if you're here for that, it's the wrong class. All right, let's talk about Zoom real quick. Right now, we got our mute button. You guys are all muted. We are not muted. We have our cameras. You guys have some of your cameras on, some are not. We have our participants. What I care about most is that chat button. Go ahead and open up your chat button. And if you could type in hi and where you're from, that would be great. And I really want you to use this chat to ask any questions you might have. Hi, Mary from Iowa. Hello, everyone from Mike. Oh, Mike, hi from Tampa. My panel, go ahead and put yourselves in there as well. Hello from Seattle. Hi, Don. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Hey, Joan. Hey, Elaine. Rebecca. Good, good, good. Don't forget, this is going to be recorded, and you will have access to it over the next couple days as well. Great, great, great. Come on in. Come on in, guys. Howdy from Texas. Tuscan. Good. And my panel, you guys as well. When they ask questions, if you want to answer it for them, that'd be great as well, typing it in. But I'm going to go ahead and introduce this panel so we can get a lot of stuff information getting out to you now i have to read this because sarah wrote this so i'm sorry my panelists if i say this wrong uh first we got stacy lee Kraus. stacy's not blonde i love it she is the founder and creator of a global fitness program called cardio yoga she's been training fitness instructors for nearly 15 years and coaching for decades anything you want to know about the feet for me and fitness stacy is who we went to she's been doing barefoot fitness for Ever. How many years, Stace?
1: Oh, good God. Since 1999, I've been teaching barefoot group exercise. So we started off as the willpower method, and we were a barefoot program then.
0: I love that. I remember taking that, actually. And then I have a very new friend to me, but I'm really digging her. Dr. Emily, I'm going to probably say your name wrong, Splickle. Yes, (laughs) Did I do good? She's a podiatrist, a human movement specialist, and a global leader in barefoot science and rehabilitation. Has developed a keen eye for movement dysfunction and neuromuscular control during gait, gait, which is, she's going to be our go-to girl for a lot of the science behind all this great stuff. I have my beautiful Ann Gilbert, who is the owner of Two Shape Fitnesses for Women franchises. She oversees the operation of many of our 15 certified personal trainers, 3D group fitness professionals and coordinates fee-based group personal training programs. She also is SCW faculty. She does our active aging certification. And she also did a lot of the programming for Water Emotion, designing the programs for all that good stuff as well. And last, but definitely not least, very good friend of mine, Pete McCall, who we've known for a very long time. He is host of the All American Fitness Podcast. He's the author of several articles, textbook chapters and books, Ageless Intensity, Effective Workouts to Slow the Aging Process, and Smarter Workouts, The Science of Exercise Made Simple. And my name is Jeff Howard. I'm very fortunate to be amongst these very bright and intelligent people. Um, I, of course, am in charge with the Group X certification for SCW, I do the Aquatic certification, also the yoga. And I've been teaching longer than I should be. Let's dive in. Enough about all that stuff. Let's get into the feet and what is going on with our feet. First question, guys. What are some of the most common injuries that are caused by a weak foot? Doc, I'm going to start with you.
2: Okay. Um, Yeah, I would say some of the big ones that you guys might be hearing or seeing in your students and clients is probably plantar fasciitis is going to be one of the biggest ones Achilles tendonitis, stress fractures, bunions, and hammer toes. I'd probably say those are probably some of the big four ones that are with weak feet or just
1: disconnected, that people are just tuned out of their feet.
0: Great. Stace, what about you? What have you seen?
1: Oh, I'm going to give that one up to to Dr. Emily. I mean, I would say plantar fasciitis is probably what I hear most often in terms of um, pain and discomfort. Um, and the reason that people want to keep their shoes on during exercise when I ask them to take their shoes off.
0: I agree. Repeat, you want to add anything to that? Uh, a lot of stuff I hear Just have to do
3: like ankle injuries or any type of like anything above the foot, but right right around the ankle. That's, and that just comes from being active and, and not necessarily having strong strong
0: feet and ankles. Any, anything? or
4: I just have to agree with everything that's been said on that question, Jeff.
0: That's great. So then, Emily. So, what do you think is causing this? Then, I mean, I, that's kind of like a very open end question, I think. But what do you what, what do you think is causing that? Then, yeah, I think you will
2: totally agree with me that it is going to be from footwear and a disconnect. Uh, I, I feel like the industry has got a little bit better in the awareness of feet but a lot of clients and members and participants are still very uh, disconnected from their feet because of shoes and orthotics and what they think is supposed to be underneath their feet and that's because of really media i feel um so any program that addresses foot health like core power yoga or minimal shoes is highly what i advocate for my patients
0: i love that stacy what about you Han?
1: Yeah. You know, again, have to, have to, uh, defer to Dr. Emily, um, Dr. Emily and I are both from New York. So we understand, and I'm sure many of you out there love your shoes as well. Right. So, you know, the doc and I are both pros at wearing pointy toed, very high shoes, um, in our, you know, other lives outside of fitness and shoes really can contribute to so many injuries. Um, and then yeah, mass media has, Allowed us, almost forced us, programmed us to fall in love with our shoes. We've been conditioned from the very dawn of fitness that we, you know, I mean, when you go for your personal training certification, our very first group exercise certification, we're taught listen, the most important piece of equipment that you need when you start an exercise program is a good pair of shoes. And I think those shoes have contributed to a lot of the problems that we see in at least, now this is different than maybe the people that Pete uh, works with, different than athletes, right? Different than sports athletes. I'd say our fitness clients um, have endured a lot because of wearing shoes um, unnecessarily in, in some cases.
0: I love that. In fact, Pete, I mean, you've been in the industry for a while. I think footwear has really changed a lot since we started in the business to where it is today. I mean, do you remember what they used to be, what we used to have people wear and what they are now?
3: Well, well one of the things that, and I think your point on, on that Stacy is hundred percent correct. One of the things I try to point out to people when they're going to be lifting weights and whatnot is not to wear the thick running shoes. Cause that can actually, cause that, that, the, the running shoes and elevated heels and workout shoes can actually lead to foot instability and when you're doing like heavy lifting you want to have a strong stable base and you want a nice wide toe spread in terms of be able to really have contact with the ground so it's not just in the studio but it's also in the weight room where it can be a critical critical issue.
0: Amy?
4: yeah, I just want to say that in general fitness we've had little or no emphasis on awareness of what's happening at the foot and we all agree that the color and the style and the and what the what the sale is at the at the store is more important than what's happening under the actual material. And I think it's exciting to see that we're putting so much emphasis on what's happening through that movement of the
0: foot. Because you gotta remember this, guys. I mean, a lot of the people when they make a shoe, a lot of distributor the shoes, they used to just have a, a shoe last. That was a standardized shoe last, and they would make a shoe for that, and they never took into account the that- the differences that we all have with our feet and what goes on with our feet somebody had asked about neuropathy and about that do you want to address that Dr. Emily yeah I was
2: actually going to add in or or contribute that after um, you had made your your point is uh, I just wrote a course around the aging foot because it's Aging population or active aging is such a hot topic right now. So now there's a sub niche of this aging foot um, and there's um, small muscle or intrinsic sarcopenia that you can be seen as well in these aging clients, where we think of muscle loss in the quads and the glutes and, and the biceps. So kind of these mass muscles, these large muscles, same thing is happening within our feet and whether you're in shoes or not, That's part of the conversation. But the other part is we just get this age-related decline in muscle mass and muscle strength, which includes the feet as well, which is why I think it's important to be um, training the foot with age and then neuropathy. The prevalence of neuropathy, whether it's diagnosed or not, is extremely high from diabetic to chemo-induced. So the rate of cancer is it's so sad how many people are getting cancer now, but it's just so prevalent. And one in four people who go through chemotherapy will get neuropathy. So it is something we want to think about with our older clients. Um, And then you get just this age-related neuropathy that won't be diagnosed, but it is still something that the client is experiencing.
0: Great, great, great. How can we identify if if your clients have weak or an imbalanced foot? How can we identify if our clients have weak or unbalanced feet? Pete? Uh, I
3: was gonna to defer to the doctor on this one. I mean, cause I, I but, but I look at it cause I always, when, it, when I, when I do an assessment as somebody that, that, that understands movement, I try to look at a software issue or a hardware issue. As trainers, as instructors, software means they, they might have to move better. We might have to teach them how to move more efficiently. Hardware means there's something wrong with the structure of the body. It could be a bony issue, it could be a soft tissue issue, but as instructors, as trainers, our job is software development. We don't mess with the hardware. So if it's a hardware issue, I'm gonna defer to somebody with an MD like Dr. Emily in terms of like, and I'd be curious doc, like what are you looking for in an assessment? Cause I, I personally, when I look at a foot assessment, I just wanna see that they roll all the way through the feet when they're walking, that they go heel, ball, foot and push off of the big toe as opposed to walking in any type of changing position.
2: Yeah, I mean, so I'll I'll share what I teach fitness professionals on how to assess the feet where I do a um, simple three, four step assessment. I want to and it's done entirely standing. So you don't have to touch the foot, assess the foot that's outside of scope anyway. So it's totally fine that if your client is standing in front of you with their feet parallel, you can get an idea of what's called relaxed position. So this is them against gravity passively. And then you have them transition into a single leg stance, which I consider active. So technically your glutes should be engaging and you should see some stability transfer into the foot all the way into the hip. And then I do a single heel raise and a single heel raise, in my opinion, is one of the most functional movements of the foot, especially with age, because that's how you take a step. And if you can't take a step, that's going to affect your stride and the gait pattern. And then that can contribute to fall risk. Um, so those are the three simple assessments. Of course, you can see a lot and that would be like five hours of stuff, not 45 minutes. (laughs) So (laughs) that would be a different topic, but those would be the ways that I would do it. And, um, I think that it's great to get them out of their shoes and just look to see what's happening, right? Are the toes contracting every time they squat? Do they lift off of the ground every time they squat? Do they turn their feet out like a duck? Um, the shoes hide a lot. and I know that Stacy's going to agree with that as well that your shoes hide so much that getting them out of shoes, you might be like, "Whoa, that's what you've been moving on." <laughs> so it's important.
0: Um. Somebody's asking if you could just demonstrate this single heel raise. Do you want to uh, do you want
2: you? Yes. Yeah. To actually demonstrate it, move my camera and demonstrate
0: it. Whatever you want to do.
2: I can. I absolutely can. I just have to take off my little sandals. <laughs> so, so I'm here and I will do this. So this is step one, step two, step three. And And then I repeat it. And that I'm looking for, are they collapsing in? Are they rolling out? Are they neutral? What happens when they go from passive to active? And then that single heel raise position, which is called a lever is the most important position the human foot can achieve is a lever or like a calf raise right? So a calf raise position is called a lever. Um, it's a locked, rigid, stable, powerful foot, which requires range of motion in the ankle into plantar flexion. That's something really important, but then dorsiflexion of the big toe. And if you, you can not dorsiflex the big toe, your glutes are probably going to sleep
0: because
2: you will not be able to walk the right way.
0: That was a lot you just said. Stacey, do you want to add to any of that or <laughs>
1: Well, you know, the interesting thing um, is that all of that mobility, you know, a lot of people don't understand that they've lost so much mobility because of their shoe wear because of the stabilized shoes that they've been wearing, you know, it's fascinating to me that even still today, so many people you can look around the gym, if you get to go to a gym live. You know, they have a super stable shoe on their foot that doesn't allow any movement or articulation through the foot at all. Right. So when Dr. Emily talks about like, whoa, you've been moving on that foot, that, that foot that's been virtually immobile and kind of dead in the shoe being protected, you know, it it was what 30 years ago that you, we used to wear lumbar support belts right? And we thought that having all of this support and bracing was a good thing for us when we were lifting weights. And now we would never do that unless you're a power lifter, right? We would teach people how to use their core and to mobilize through their core and to have an awareness of core integration, right? There was a, there, a big movement, maybe what, 20 years ago about, whoa, core exercises don't need to be done laying on the ground like crunches. They should be integrated to everything else we do. And foot fitness is the same but we really can't access our feet, see them. We can't feel them as much and we can't mobilize our feet if they're locked up in a little box. So having people become aware of, for example, Dr. Emily's heel raise, you know, people don't know if they roll in or roll out. They don't know that they've got five metatarsal heads that can actually be utilized sometimes because they can't feel them individually. So creating that awareness from the brain to the foot is critically important, the same way we did that starting 20 years ago with the core. And um, so I think that that's a big part of our journey in fitness is making people aware of their feet and uh, also encouraging them not to hide their feet and shoes, because there's this whole psychological, which I'm sure the, the doc sees all the time. There's a huge psychological aspect to being barefoot. People don't like their feet and that's been okay in our culture. For people to say, "Oh, feet are gross. I hate my feet." Right? Well, you walk on them all day long. You should know what you have and what their capabilities are, and you should start to spread your toes. And you do that with movement and awareness.
3: Okay. If I can add, if I can add two things real quick. One, I want to point out. I'm going to turn my camera down here for a second because you mentioned dorsiflexion, and most of the time we're used to. If you can see my foot, we think of dorsiflexion as being open chain with our foot off the ground. But we have to realize what is about forty percent of the gait cycle is we're in a closed chain dorsiflexion. And and to go back to what Doc Emily was saying, when I look at somebody walking, I'm looking to see can they dorsiflex over their foot with their foot on the ground. Because if they can't get that motion out of the ankle with the foot on the ground, that's when you see that ankle turn out or you see the knee collapse. So we think dorsiflexion in terms of foot, we should think with dorsiflexion with the foot on the ground because the other time it happens is when we squat, when we squat and we lunge, you have the tibia moving over, you have the tibia moving over relatively fixed foot. So I just wanted, I wanted to take a moment to kind of redefine dorsiflexion being in a closed chain because that's where it's most appropriate. But then number two, to to go on what Stacy said about the core, the most nonsensical thing you can say in fitness is tighten your core. I really wish if I could snap my fingers and take away any phrase in our industry it will be tight in your core if you want to engage your core from a standing position and this is why we should be training our core from a standing position we should push our feet into the ground and and i would love to hear i'd love to hear the other panelists talk about because we have so many what is it 26 or 28 bones i know it's one of those two numbers but we have like 26 or 28 bones in the feet between every bone we have nerve endings so if you really want to engage your core push your feet into the ground, sink into your hips, and do stuff from a standing position, like cable exercises, because with your feet engaged in the ground, the feet have the nerve endings that wire into the muscles to stabilize the spine. And so if you really wanna engage your core, that's when we need to be working on our feet, not lying on the ground, not sitting in a bench, not on a piece of apparatus, but from a standing position. So I just to, cause Stacy did a brilliant job of tying in the core to the feet, I just want to point that out, that if we really want to develop true core strength. we got to do it while we're standing.
0: I love it. Somebody had asked, and I think it's kind of, I don't think there's a set answer for this. What shoes would you recommend for the gym?
1: I was just typing in an answer. <laughs> Maybe I could stop typing. So that's such a broad question. Um, pardon me for jumping in right there. Um, I was with uh, uh, the five-finger shoe for a while. Um, you know, that's a toe shoe that has kind of an odd look, but I love that for the gym, right? Um, Vibram five fingers. It's, I love that for the gym because you're practically barefoot. You just have a little bit of covering around your feet. Now the big scare is, well, you can't wear those in the gym. Cause what if you drop a weight on your foot? How many times, like just say, haha, in the comments, if you've heard that before, don't drop a weight on your foot. Well, how often do we do that? You know? And if you're going to wear a minimal shoe, like Vibram five fingers or Vivo barefoot, which I love Vivo barefoot is like the Prada of barefoot shoes. And then zero shoes with an X, X E R O. These are all minimal shoes that are awesome, but they don't have a ton of protection. You know, don't drop the weight on your foot. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Unless you're wearing steel work boots, it's going to hurt.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I, but those are minimal shoes. And I think for most activities, for most activities and for most people, um, you know, always my position is if you're going to go to the gym to work your whole body, then you should be exercising your feet as well. So I think a minimal shoe is a smart move for a gym. this is not for everybody this is broad strokes right and we always have the special populations and you know we have to treat our clients as individuals, not with broad strokes and a more comfortable, more mainstream shoe is the Nike free shoe, which will give you some more cushioning and it, it looks more mainstream and you know you won't have a gym manager coming after you and saying, oh don't drop the weight on your foot So you know all of those minimal shoes will give you more movement in your foot.
0: I love that. Dr. Emily.
1: Yeah. And I I was going to say because someone had asked
2: a question, Susan did, about are those shoes that Stacy had mentioned safe for weightlifting or taking a group X class, like a body conditioning or a body pump type class? Absolutely. And that's actually where. I find them the most appropriate. Not everyone is going to the gym to, you know, do a hit class or box jumps or something really high intensity from a ballistic perspective, just doing weights in minimal shoes. Awesome. It's actually where I direct my patients who are looking to go from a traditional shoe to a minimal shoe. I say the best environment to do that is in the gym because it's a controlled environment and the stress you're putting your feet under is going to be. Uh, controls. Um, if I might add really quickly, though, because someone might be thinking of like, what's with these Olympic lifting shoes, though, because of like CrossFit and Reebok has some flat, um, stiff soled heel drop lifting shoes. There's a time and place for those if you're doing true Olympic lifting. And it's, it's kind of like Stacy was saying, you don't really wear the weight belt unless you're pushing your one rep max really high, right? So there's, there's a time and place for everything. So if your client or you are an actual Olympic lifter and you're doing traditional Olympic lifting lifts, there's an advantage. You might want Ollie lifting shoes, then do it, but then go into minimal shoes and train your feet.
0: (laughs) I love that. Annie.
2: I just want to say something that's a little bit off the subject, but. From a business owner's
4: perspective, when we as fitness professionals are taking an interest in this new age of education and making people aware of what's happening at the body level rather than the fashion level, you are increasing your opportunity to retain your members to fight attrition. In today's world, the member in a studio wants to know what's happening in their body. And it's just not fascinating to all of us that are on this panel, but it's fascinating to your members. If you haven't brought this type of education into your studio, bring it in now. Because it's going to keep your members excited about learning about their body. People have body image problems, especially in women's only, but they're fascinated with how the body moves. So bravo to all of us for increasing the awareness of how my body moves and how their bodies move, because you have made a new raving fan and it isn't about the playlist or the fashion or the dance. They want to know what's happening in their body. So bravo to everybody here on the panel
0: today. I love it, Annie. We have another question. It says, we all agree that a lot of information nerves come from our feet, but some research suggests that people over 65 should wear shoes most of the time. How much time could or should we encourage our older clients to go barefoot and where? Who would like to take that one at first?
1: Me. I'm sorry, I'm going to jump in.
4: Pete, you know, why are we putting age on function?
3: (laughs) I'll I'll just turn you Ann. Go ahead.
4: No, you and I, let's go together. Why are we putting an age on function? It's capability and interest in their functional ability, right? And their activities of daily life. So when you say... This shoe is appropriate for this particular demographic. Shame on us. So I think that we have to get away from a shoe for a demographic. You guys, I'm 68 years old. You're going to tell me what shoe to wear. I want to know what my body's doing and then I'll fix the shoe. Right, Pete? Or no?
3: That's exactly what I was going to say. I mean, I I can't stand when somebody comes out and puts an age limit on what we should be doing in, in the gym. And because you have to look at there's a huge gap in the research. When, when you look at most of the research about between people the ages 60 and maybe 80, most of that research is done on deconditioned people who don't exercise regularly, right? And, and so they look at that. And so if you look at somebody who's in their 60s who hasn't exercised regularly, well, there's a difference there between somebody who's your age and 68 who's had a gym membership since she was 20 years old. I mean, that, that's a huge, we have to admit that a huge portion of the people we serve in the gyms, if they're in their 50s and 60s, have probably been coming to the gym for more than 35 or 40 years. I'm I'm 40, I'm almost 49. I've had a gym membership since I was 18. So I've had a gym membership going back 30 years. That's different than somebody who's 49 that hasn't done anything for the last 20 years. And so to put an age on it, it I think is kind of BS. And you got to look at what, what is their ability to move. If, if they can move, if they've if they're strong, if they've been taking your classes, by all means they should be wearing a mentalist shoe. However, if they are just starting. If they're just starting, then it's a different story and we have to consider their special needs when they're starting. But I really, we have to understand that when we look at people who've been in the gym for the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years, the research that we have on on mostly sedentary individuals
0: does not apply to them. love that. How about you guys? Uh, Doc, do you want to add anything about 65 and older? What you feel about more mature? Let's go with more, let's go with mature population or more mature population. I'm not mature.
2: Does that include the geriatric millennial, like me?
0: (laughs) That's um, how we found out about when you're all our millennials are turning forty now, and because of that, they're called what? Geriatric Geriatric
2: millennials. Hello.
0: We've we've got them now. (laughs) Go ahead.
2: Oh yeah. So um, I I was going to agree with Pete with what he said as far as um, almost like question the research. That you are reading because one, look at the source um, and two, really look at the participants in the methodology. Don't just read headlines of research. You do not get the full picture by just reading headlines and then that's it. Um, and for that recommendation of anyone over 65 should spend a majority of their time in footwear. I understand that because I was taught that as a podiatrist that Pediatry and a lot of medicine is taught to treat out of fear, which means that you have this older client, 65 is young, so that just seems kind of crazy, but 65 and they're saying, oh no, now they're entering the age demographic where falls are a concern. So I need to protect, protect, protect with them in this little bubble, which includes their feet, not really realizing that footwear is actually one of the greatest contributors to falls. And I advocate so much about barefoot baby boomers. And that is, you can use that if you want your barefoot baby boomers, and you get them out of their shoes, you get them stimulating their feet, I say go more minimal, such as the shoes that Stacy was saying. And then My recommendation, if you want an actual time, is I say, every person, every age should have at least 30 minutes of barefoot stimulation a day, at least 30 minutes, hopefully more. But that would be my prescriptive regimen. And then make sure you're strengthening the feet and you're mobilizing your feet every single day, in addition to that 30 minutes.
0: And that's going to lead right into my next thing. So now we've identified the client that has a weakness or an imbalanced foot. How do we strengthen it and correct it if we can? Do you want to start with that one, Ann?
1: Oh, I was going to let Stacy start
0: that. <laughs> I know Stacy can do this. Go, Stace.
1: Well, you know, I mean, my program, so cardio yoga, let, let me back up yoga is becoming more mainstream now. And of course, as we know, Pilates is so much more mainstream. When we first started the willpower method, willpower and grace, uh, which is a barefoot program in 1999, yoga was not mainstream. Fitness was mainstream. And at that time we were wearing stabilizing shoes. So we've had a nice conversation about shoe wear and how we could potentially move our queens into a minimal shoe because Let's face it. Most people can't walk around their gyms barefoot. Although I know a lot of people that do now, but the general mainstream that that's not acceptable, especially maybe with COVID and germs, because people are so freaked out about feet, but in a clean, safe environment, if you're not using weights, if there's no fear of dropping weights on your feet, You should be exercising your feet too. So what about a battery of exercises specific to your foot? Like lifting your toes and spreading them out. It would be really fascinating for everybody that's on this call. We've got almost a hundred people to stand up and bink, to just stand up and take your feet apart, you know, hip distance and lift your toes up and spread them out wide like this. And then take a look down at your toes and see if you could separate all 10 toes. You know, that would be just kind of a nice benchmark because what you'll find is, this is a term that I've been using for 20 years. What you'll find is many of many of you have feet that have toes with separation anxiety.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so your toes are kind of stuck together and that's because of what Pete was referring to before, that tight, small toe box, which is a fashion, you know, that's, that's just implementation of fashion, keeping our feet looking small and bound. How many times have you said, these shoes make my feet look big. I mean, that's kind of ridiculous. That's just programming, right? So just simply lifting your toes and spreading them wide. And why would we want to do that? Everyone on this call knows the wider your base of support, the more stable you'll be. So if you look at any 65 plus any of their feet, you're going to find that their toes are kind of bound together. So just that one simple exercise, spreading your toes and getting them to separate would be a great start. Right. And I could go on for a long time about this. so I'm going to turn it over.
3: Who um, else? Uh, Pete, Do you want to take it? Well, the only thing I'm going to say on that, and I'm going to try to not fall over here, but this is my, these are my socks. I've been wearing toe socks for ages for that reason. I started wearing them with Vibram about maybe a decade ago. And now they're the only workout socks that I use. I don't, I don't even own any other pairs of old fashioned socks anymore. The only problem is that my washer keeps eating them up. So I got like four or five left foot and no, no right foot, so I have to turn them inside out in order to be able to have pairs. But, but in all seriousness, that what I find is wearing the toe socks allows more dexterity and allows my feet, so when I'm lifting, and, and when, I, when I lift heavier, I wear Vivo barefoot. I don't wear, I, I'm not going heavy enough and I'm not training in the ollie lifts, so I don't wear lifting shoes, but I'll wear my Vivo barefoot with that wide toe box and with the, the toe socks, I can really articulate my feet And for me, when I'm lifting, when I'm lifting right and I'm going heavy, I can feel it in my feet. I definitely feel like my feet have gotten a workout and it's such a, it's kind of a soothing feeling knowing that you've, you've done that. And then for the part of the recovery is just that tennis ball treatment, rolling your foot over a tennis ball a little bit while watching TV at night, but that, but I love that. I mean, I, I I shouldn't have shown that because it's been hard. I haven't been able to find in Gingy toe socks And Gingy is one brand of them. And they've been sold out on Amazon for a little while but I really, I mean, those toe socks make a big difference in terms of maintaining that foot articulation.
0: Uh, but Annie?
4: I just think it's just incorporating the practices, the movement of dorsiflexion and plantar flexion into our basic warm-ups, and getting away from thinking that marching right, left and step, touch, step, touch and grapevine are going to get the foot ready for the exercise. So yes, awareness and two, just incorporate taking simple steps to incorporate the basic movements that I would just call ankle mobility into regular mainstream
0: exercise classes. I love that doc. Anything you want to add?
2: Uh, The only thing that I would add that I love for training the foot is balance exercises and balancing on Stable surfaces. So being on a flat, stable surface, um, barefoot, ideally. And then you are doing single leg exercises, side lunges. You can, there's so many exercises that you can blend into a single leg, but single leg balance from the ground up, engaging your foot and pushing your toes down is extremely functional. And I, I try to have everything I recommend transfer to walking, because that's just that's my goal is to get people walking better. <laughs>
0: I love I that. No, I'm going to be train honest.
4: To train to transfer, right? But we've got to, if we're going to bring it into the club setting, we've got to make it part of because they, there is not yet enough awareness that this is important. So we've got to kind of sneak it in. Don't you guys think? I, I don't that. have main, mainstream classes on balance. So I have to do my due diligence to put it into the regular programming.
3: And I've had people walk out of my core training classes before. Because if I do a 40, 45 minute core training class, the first five to eight minutes of it is all single foot stuff, is yeah, all it's single right leg balance because your feet turn on your core. And people yeah. are like, where are the crunches? I'm like, well, this is core training. We're not doing crunches yeah. here. But we start, we start by doing like single leg excursion exercises to, to get going. And I've I've literally had people look at me and walk out because we're starting to Ann's point. I'm trying to integrate that dynamic balance in. And They look and go, I thought this was core. I'm like, it is, but mm-hmm. they want what they want. and, they and Their want watch
4: that. doesn't tell them that they're getting a workout. Right, guys?
2: Right.
3: It's part so of the isn't it, saying, it's, it's,
2: This
4: is effective. We know yeah. it's effective, but the watch isn't saying so.
0: Yeah. I love that. I love it. Somebody asked, um, can somebody explain the importance of a short foot exercises and the proper way to do it? The importance of a short foot exercising uh-huh. and the proper way to do it. <laughs>
2: anyone can do short foot's the bomb
1: so just take a note whoever teaches this
0: (laughs) so who wants to show it i'm not sure
1: (laughs) you show it emily i'll add on to it okay sure i'll
2: give a a one minute version or 30 second version of it um so when i teach short foot i personally like to teach one foot at a time so that the client can connect to their foot i like to start by trying finding the foot tripod, first, fit heel, lifting the toes and spreading them the way that Stacey just had them do it. And then you push the tips of the toes down into the ground. And when you do that, you can see my arch is lifting every time I do that. And that is short foot. I like to lift off of the ball of the foot. And every time I have the toes go down, the way that I like to teach short foot is in an integrated way. So toes go down, deep core pelvic floor contracts and lifts, and you want to exhale. So I call it being barefoot with intention, um, or there's a purpose. There's an integration behind every foot exercise, which is what Pete was saying, what I know Stacy says, what I know Annie knows and all of you probably appreciate, but I find it more important to teach short foot, with a cue to the core and the breath versus like you're doing towel crunches or bicep curls for your feet, in a sense. Like I don't
1: want it to be separated or disconnected.
0: Love that, Stacey, do you wanna?
1: yeah, what what I've learned, uh, I generally teach in the group exercise setting, right? And and as all of the um, GX instructors know, it's really about cueing. Now, short foot is the clinical term for the exercise, and sometimes I'll say that in classes, um, just like quadricep is the you know clinical or the anatomical name for, you know, your thighs, but we don't always call it the quadricep, right? We make things a little bit more user-friendly. What I've found when teaching short foot is that if we teach short foot and call it short foot, we'll typically in a group exercise setting, this is different than Emily working one-on-one with a client, but we'll typically get short feet, meaning people curl their toes under and -hmm. that's incorrect right? So finding verbiage that really describes what's happening. Um, For example, I call this exercise and I'm not saying that you should call it this, but you know, smart toes. So we, we teach it and gain this integration of, or this awareness of kind of suction cup, creating a suction cup with the toes, creating a suction cup with the long arch of the foot. And then you have these roots, you almost feel like you have roots growing out of your feet, like a tree. So it's smart toes, it's doming, feel the rooted and connectedness. So it's really about kind of explaining and helping your clients, just like Emily said, you know, make these connections that are so much deeper than do this with your feet. You know, when people are disconnected, they're not going to feel that complete connection from the foot to the core. Um, And the balance that's associated with it, too. So you really want to if you start teaching this, whether it's one on one with clients or in a group exercise setting, you want to see what you get back once you toss the cues out there, because just throwing telling people what to do doesn't necessarily make it effective. Right. And, and another thing just to add to what Pete was saying earlier is that I've had people walk into my class and say, oh, it's barefoot. never mind." So then I'll say, well, you could do basically all of the squats and lunges that we're doing with shoes on, of course, but how about this? What if you take your, your shoes off for just the barefoot warmup, just the toe exercises, and then put your shoes back on after that nine out of 10 times, they'll leave their shoes off we are such a massive, and I would love all you science geeks out there to do some kind of research about like the psychological ramifications of the feet. Why do people hate their feet so much? Why do they want to, you know, box their feet up and hide them away? Because that's a that's been a, a big um, objection to overcome for me over the past twenty years. Even if I spew the science, people don't like their feet.
0: And it's interesting, I was in South Africa for five years, and it was interesting to me that the students there, they didn't put shoes on their children until they were 12 years old. You saw oh. kids walking around barefoot, going to school barefoot, and at 12, shoes were then put on their kids. Yeah, Here South- in the United States, we, we put shoes on them when they're not even walking yet. We put shoes on them, and we start to mold their feet. And I, and I think that's, what were you going to say, Pete? I think that's well, I was interesting. Well, to
3: say, in, in rugby... In, in South in rugby, South Africa, New Zealand, Australia, all the ten and unders play rugby barefoot. They they they're training, they're playing. I'm sure you saw that, Jeff, Jeffrey. Right? You saw the kids playing soccer and playing rugby barefoot up to ten or twelve years old, and th- that's one of the reasons why they dominate that sport internationally.
0: Mm-hmm. I think I mean, I, and they don't have the knee injuries we have or the hip injuries, like our lower back. Even you, there, there's a huge. Thing that's happening when you when we go barefoot. Now, people are asking about, of course, how do you do this if people have hammer toes or if they have neuropathy or they have all these other issues? And, and of course, in a group setting, we allow people to take ownership of their bodies. And if they don't want to take their shoes off, then guess what? That's okay. They want to leave their socks on, that's okay. Do you all agree with that? I mean, it's not we're just inviting them to try something new. Um, Somebody, Annie, asked specifically you, what is your feeling for aqua students going barefoot?
4: Oh my gosh, that's so interesting. I just finished an article. From a a club owner, um, the barefoot, (laughs) to me, the shoe, um, an aquatic shoe is about slip and falls. That's actually what it's about, slip and falls. Um, But just think of the cohesive molecules of water. As soon as you step into the aquatic environment, The shoes, the shoes really need or could come off because the cohesive molecules of water massage the foot and really allow for an increase in mobility. Just think of buoyancy under the foot. What it does is lift that foot and allows for a larger range of motion in the aquatic environment. So I think the aquatic environment is an amazing place to increase the mobility of the ankle joint. Um, As far as impact goes. We say, oh, there's less impact than the water. It doesn't have anything to do with the shoes. It has to do with buoyancy. So embrace the benefits of water and the properties of water. And if your owner will allow you to take the shoes off because you're avoiding a slip and fall, do so. Because there's going to be an increase in mobility. Wouldn't you agree, Doc?
2: that that and I love that you're so excited about the buoyancy of the water I love it and the, the yeah. Power, yeah. molecules I love it I'm feeding off your energy um, around that but I agree and I love aqua fitness so I'm I'm so glad that you you speak on that water doing work in water is incredible for the body mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I think that the shoe came from the slip and fall you know
4: uh-huh. so Earth, that's That's what I'm avoiding is a slip and fall. And it's not in while I'm in the environment, it's getting out of the environment. So really review the properties of water and every single thing that the water brings to us is about increased mobility of the ankle joint and the feet. Oh my gosh, we're
0: free in the water. I love that. (laughs) Somebody had asked about calluses and what causes calluses on your toes. Um, Some people said it was a result of gait. What, what, What causes calluses? I think.
2: Yeah, those yummy, yummy calluses. Um, so they're, they're a result of pressure. So any callus, any, any callus on the foot is pressure, uh, diffuse pressure, a corn is pinpoint pressure. So pressure on the toes, pressure on the ball of the foot or the heel Um you can pumice them down, shave them down, put cream on them and things like that. But unless you take away the pressure, they're going to come right back. Um, so do not pay for the $50 add on to take away your calluses thinking they're not going to come back at the pedicure. <laughs> they're going to come back. Um, but you you do want to take care of your feet. And that is something that I advocate. I know Stacey will speak about that as well Is that if you are barefoot, you. You have to take care of your foot more because it's introduced to the elements a little bit different. Um, and I've actually treated patients who are like a full barefoot lifestyle. They do not wear shoes anymore. And I've seen very, very bad fissures that are cracked and massive infections. So you do want to make sure you are addressing these things.
0: I know. Sorry.
1: Sorry. I did not mean to go that way.
0: <laughs> sorry. Um,
1: but it's important information. And, you know, just something to be said about you know, the children who are barefoot, you know, all over the world playing sports from a young age, barefoot. Indigenous cultures are typically barefoot, you know, and you'll see that barefoot people have re- typically pretty good balance, right? And they might have some calluses, but their feet are in better condition than our feet that are closed up in, you know, socks and shoes all the time. And then our idea here in America of foot care is to go get a pedicure, right? To put our feet out in front of someone else and say, paint my toes and yeah, yeah, shave down my calluses and and whatnot. So, you know, if, if we look, if we look at the indigenous cultures all over the world, they tap into herbs and Ayurvedic medicine, you know, what, what we've been given, Um, As humans with mother nature and mother nature really designed a really great structure in our foot that's, that's meant to work perfectly well without, you know, shoes that cost $150 that are super cushioned and feel like we're walking on clouds and stabilize your feet so that you're super safe. To speak to Anne, you know it's the slip and oh, be careful you don't roll your ankle and be careful that you you know you don't compress too much. There are so many different things about it where if we actually used our feet the way they were intended, they might work. And of course, you'll need to take care of them. Um, imagine if, that. If
3: I can, add, if I can add something, I mean, there there have been a couple of questions and I know we got to wrap up here, um, but I know. So don't don't make the mistake that people did about a decade ago. When Vibram five fingers were first introduced, when those five finger shoes, the toe shoes were first introduced, and we started being introduced to the concept of, okay, we can go barefoot. Well, if you're running, if you're going out for a five-mile run in regular shoes, that did not mean take off your regular running shoes and put on Vibram five fingers and go for a five-mile run. If you start introducing barefoot movement, it needs to start incrementally smaller. So don't, don't just change from your regular shoes or have clients change from what they've been wearing to a minimalist shoe and say, okay, do everything you've been doing, that would lead to injuries. What you wanna do is if they start wearing a minimalist shoe, start in the gym for in the gym only and start with small increments, go for a walk around the neighborhood. How'd you feel the next day? Okay, great. Now you can start wearing them a little bit more. Am I right about that doc? Because even if we go from a standard like running shoe with an elevated heel, and all of a sudden we go to a minimalist shoe with almost no drop, and, and the heel and the drop is when the heel is elevated. So if this is my heel and this is the the ball of the foot, even if you go from a fitness shoe with a little bit of a heel drop to a minimalist shoe, there's going to be an adaptation period. So if you are yourself as a trainer or instructor, if you're recommending it to your clients, there needs to be an adjustment period up to about three to six months. I know that sounds like a long time, but you want to, what you want to do is avoid injuries. Because if you go from running a few miles in regular shoes and trying to run a few miles in, in minimalist shoes, I guarantee you'll get injured. And then you're going to turn around and sue Vibram and then we'll have all this nonsense. So if you are going to introduce the barefoot concept, do it small and incrementally and take the time with the progression to a full barefoot workout. I just wanted to bring that up. Thank I you. love that.
0: I love that. that. Somebody had also mentioned about falling arches. They need support, correct? Doc, do you want to talk about falling archers or?
2: I mean, not necessarily. <laughs> there's, there's a, uh, Line or a gradation of everything, and I do not make x equals y statements or you know, uh, red and blue like just really polar statements. I don't do that because there's so much in between. Um, but what I would say is that flat feet means many different things. Falling arches, arches means many different things. So I would say you know get educated and understand. And there's a lot of courses, Stacy. I teach one. I'm sure Pete integrates it in his as far as foot and how to assess it or just think about it so that you're just a knowledgeable or more knowledgeable professional so that you can can guide them. Um, so, yeah, if they if they truly are fallen arches because of a weakness or a tear in the post tib tendon, they might actually need orthotics, but I'm still giving them exercises.
0: Let's. You you said a word that there's a lot of questions about. A lot of people are pro. Some people are not pro orthotics. What are your thoughts across the board?
2: I'm gonna answer like a politician. <laughs> it depends, because <laughs> it does depend. It does, and that's that's where I try not to make really polar statements because I can't, as a medical professional, I can't say everyone should be in them and, or no one should be in them because there's exceptions to every rule. Um, but that's what I try to do as an educator is to educate you, all the listeners, to educate the consumer, the patient so that they can own their own health and they can question things. If they're told, blanket statement, 30 seconds into a podiatry office, if they're like, nope, orthotics, $500, question that, right? Own your body and understand what it means to have overpronation and orthotics. And can you also do, or maybe instead do exercises? Understand
0: that. I love that. that. I love it. You guys, we are running out of time. We We are out of time. So before we leave, I want everybody to put their information in the box. You can continue this discussion with our panel if you would like to. I want to thank you guys so much for being with us tonight. And I will definitely let Sarah know that this is a topic that you guys are into and are excited about. And I just want to say, try it, guys. Every Tuesday, I let my members decide on Tuesdays if they want to take their shoes off or on. Some people want to leave them on, but a lot of them take them off. And they rather train once a week without their shoes on. We use a mat, hand weights, and I teach a low-impact class. They love it. Okay. You guys, I want everybody to have a good evening. I want to thank my panel for being so informative. I hope you learn stuff. This will be on recorded for you guys. You'll get email. Thanks, everybody. Have a great night. Take care. Take
1: care.